Okay, good evening everyone. Thanks for coming. Today is uh, good evening and a good chaydish to everyone. A brand new month with full of new, good, wonderful, exciting blessings. And uh, only, only good for everybody and for all the Jewish people. We should all be blessed with a very, very luminous month. A lot of light, a lot of bracha, and tremendous revelation and the revelation and the coming of Mashiach Tzedkeno. Um, I just saw from the Rebbe of Ruzhin, the Holy Ruziner, that um, the, there is a machlekes in the Gemara when, when uh, Mashiach is supposed to come. If Mashiach comes in the month of Tishrei or Mashiach comes in the month of Nisan. Uh, but he says, and I say that Mashiach comes in the month of Sivan. That's really special. Uh, between Rosh Chodesh and Shavuos. And the Zohar actually says that on Shavuos the Jewish people go out of exile. So we have enough sources. So if uh, we are excited and we are anticipating and we put away all the narishkeit of all of our questions and our doubts and just believe with simple faith that Mashiach is coming, then Mashiach is going to come. Now it's just up to us. Okay. Um, anybody that wants to still sponsor this class, uh, this week I haven't had a chance to look for sponsors and anybody wants to dedicate this shear, if you're listening to the shear online or on the CD, you can have the big, 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 huge, big, tremendous chus of this class being your mitzvah. You can let me know and claim it retroactively so it's even a greater chus because it's done in a quieter fashion. Okay. Now... Uh, we're about to begin, but I first do want to announce we have a very exciting Shavuos program over here at Mayon, um, commemorating and celebrating our new Sefer Torah that is going to be read for the first time on the Baal Shem Tov's yard site. And this is really, really exciting. Uh, the the, um, the Sefer Torah, its entire journey, its inception, its journey... And I have to say, sometimes you feel that you're making a big deal about something. And maybe it's not such a big deal. You're just creating a hype and a big deal about something. One thing I can say, that this entire Sefer Torah keeps process, keeps on stunning me, because it keeps on showing me that it's much, much greater than I can even fathom. And that was proven to me both in the things leading up to the journey of the Sefer Torah, the way the whole journey happened and everything that happened was really, really unbelievable and everything just had such a siyata deshmaya, such a help from God from above. It was not normal. And whoever was able to echnas the Torah saw and felt that something different was happening on Detroit Street as we brought the Sefer Torah over here. This was not the ordinary Torah. And, this is, and I have no doubt that the reading over here, Shavuos in the morning. And I know everybody's going to be tired. You're up all night and you're tired, and you have every excuse not to be here. But that's okay. But if you do come over here, there's something awesome, crazy holy happening in the shul at 10, 11 o'clock, Sunday morning, on the Balshemtev's yard site, when Aseris Adibris is going to be read from the brand new Sefer Torah of the Balshemtev. So if you want to have all that light and bracha and energy flowing into your neshama, then come. I'm inviting you and your family to come and join us over here. And yes, it'll involve overcoming tiredness and 
and, and, and pushing away all the laziness and all the apathy and all the indifference and all the eh, and where and all of that. Just put that all to the side. Come over here to Mayan Sunday morning and experience something incredible. Thank you. Uh, preceding that, there is going to be a fascinating all-night learning at Mayan Yisrael. Um, we are going to have a Hasidic, a Hasidic smorgasbord for, um, for, for all night long learning, being that we're celebrating the Baal Shem Tov on his yard site, and we're celebrating Matan Torah, so we combine both the Baal Shem Tov and Matan Torah, so we're going to have a magnificent branch of Hasidus where everyone can taste the fruits of Hasidus from all the branches of the Hasidic tree. Beginning at 12 a.m. till 12.30 a.m., this is Matzah Shabbos, I will be giving a class on the teachings of, from the Ruzhin dynasty, mainly from the holy Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhin himself. Incredible, incredible, very deep and very, very special. So that's going to be for a half an hour, followed by a shear on the Chabad take on Kabbalah Satora, and that is going to be given by my son-in-law, whoever didn't hear him yet, really, really, really huge scholar, a very, very deep human being, and um, his shear is going to be from 12.35 to 1.05, and that's going to be on the Chabad philosophy of Kabbalah Satira. Then I will take over at 1.10, from 1.10 to 1.40, giving a taste of Chernobyl. I'm very fascinated by Rav Nachum of Chernobyl, Seifam Erenayim. It really, really illuminates the eyes. I was always drawn to it. It's very deep and very fascinating. So this is Rav Nachum of Chernobyl, maybe his son Ramatul of Chernobyl. Uh, that's going to be from 110 to 140. Then my son-in-law picks up from there at 145, Rabbi Mendel Zirkin, till 2.15 a.m., a talk coming from Pshischa Chassidus, for Rabbinim of Pshischa, his, his lineage. And that takes us to Kotsk, uh, to Izhbitz, to Sachachov, to Reb Tzadik, HaKoyen, Tzvasemes, Shemesh Mool, unbelievable, rich Hasidis to hear from, and that's going to be at 1.45 a.m. to 2.15, where I will take over, and I will, at 2.20, and I will speak for a half an hour, trying to deliver some fascinating thoughts from the Holy Rapshitzer in his great, great book, Zerah Kodesh, that's the Hasidic dynasty that I was born into and come from, family members, many, many generations, going back to Rapshitz, continuing on to Sons and Bells, um, a lot, a lot, a lot there in that half an hour. Then we move on again to my son-in-law, who will be exploring the, the, the teachings of Rem Nachman from Breslev, and that's going to take place at 2.55 till 3.25 a.m. by Rabbi Mendel Zirkin. Um, really, really worth coming. He's very excited about this one, and I'm excited to hear what he has to say on this as well. Last but not least, I will take over at 3.30 till 4 a.m. with a little taste of Karlin from the teachings of the Beis Aaron, Rabbi Aaron of Karlin, one of the giant, giant, giants of Hasidus, and so somewhat related to Karlin from the same area of, of Lithuania and Russia is Slonim. They were deeply connected to Karlin Rebis and the Slonim Rebis. So we will try to create a very, very great blend of Karlin and Slonim. And this is, some of you might be familiar with the famous Sefer Nesiva Shalom from the Slonim Rebbe. All this is going to lead to 
a Shabbos, a um, Kiddush after davening, Sunday morning after we take out the special Sefer Torah, and we will read the Aseris Adibris from the Baal Shem Tov. We're going to have a very, very, very beautiful Kiddush. You remember, every year we usually have something on the second day commemorating the Baal Shem Tov, but this time I wanted to connect it to the Sefer Torah. So it's going to be when we read the Sefer Torah. So it's going to be on the first day, Shavuos, the holy yard site of the Baal Shem Tov, right after davening at about 12.30. Uh, there's going to be a Milchik Kiddush here at Shul Tzeminiktit Milchiks. Followed by, or dur, within the duration of that, I again will speak. This is called Jewels from the Crown, the Baal Shem Tov on Matan Torah, beginning at 1 p.m. from 1 to 20 p.m. So these are what's happening over here at Mayon uh, on Shavuos. Please come, tell your friends and family, and come join over here at Mayon for this very, very, very special, special Shavuos. Thank you so much. Now we're about to begin the class. Um, so this week is Parshas Bamidbar, and it is the week before Shavuos. So let's see if we can get something that will combine both Parshas Bamidbar and Shavuos. The opening verse of Parshas Bamidbar by David Hashem al Moshe. Hashem spoke to Moshe in Midbar Sinai. In Midbar Sinai, but Oel Moed in the Oel Moed. So God speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu at Midbar Sinai. We're in the Midbar. It's a, he's in the Sinai Desert, in the Oel Moed. This is the first day of the second month. Now we're going into the first day of the third month. But this is the first day of the second month, the month of Iyar. Okay? This was in the second year when they came out of Egypt. God spoke to him saying. Second year meaning they went out of Nisan in the year 2448. Then three months later, or two and a half, whatever, two and a half months later, in the month of Sivan, they received the Torah. Then they made the golden calf. Then they had to have forgiveness on Yom Kippur. They got the second tablets. And then they, the whole winter they, spilt, they spent building the Mishkan. The following Nisan, a year after the going out of Egypt, is when they put up the Mishkan. So a one month later, after the Mishkan was put on, this was the second year when they came out of Mitzrayim, God speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu and he commands him, take a census, take a counting of the Jewish people. So Moshe Rabbeinu, and it instructs us how they counted the Jewish people, all the tribes, gives us the numbers of all the tribes. This is the Pasuk. So over here, there's a few diyukim, a few interesting ideas that are, one should take note. Arachayim HaKadosh makes an interesting, um, notices something interesting. When it speaks about See, what the Torah is trying to zoom in on the time and the place where this happened. Time and place. That's always very important. Right? Uh, When you're... People, when they write a letter, they write the date. And you're also, if you're really writing it formally, you write where you're writing it from. This letter has been written, whatever, Los Angeles, California, on this and this date. So the Torah is doing the same thing. It's zeroing in on the time and in the place when it happened. The time... The first day of the second month, the second year when they went out of Egypt. Okay? Spade, the place where it happened, God spoke to Moshe in the Mishkan, in the Oel Moed, in the tent of meeting. We're at the Sinai Desert, Bemidbar Sinai. However, the Arachayim notices an interesting distinction. That when it comes to the place, first it says the more general place, and then it gives you, it zooms in to this particular place, to the specific. 
like you would say, where do you live? In Los Angeles. Where in Los Angeles? I live on Alta Vista Street. Okay? So you, what you did was, you spoke first in the general, and then you said the date. Or you can do it the opposite. First you can say, like, we write an address. When you write an address, you first write this particular home address, and then later you write Brooklyn, New York, Los Angeles, California, whatever it is. So you start with the more specific, and then you go to the detail. Over here, it begins with Midbar Sinai. It says first the general place where they were, and then it says Ba'ol Moed. In the Ol Moed, it gives you the particular address. However, when it comes to telling us the time, it does it in the in the other order. It begins first with the particular, with the individual date. It says it was the first day, Rosh Chodesh Iyar, the first day of the second month. And then it gives you the general, general time, the second year, from when they went out of Egypt. So do you notice the inconsistency? When it comes to place, it mentions first the general place, and then it goes to the specific, Midbar Sinai, and then Ba'ol Moed. When it comes, however, to time, it goes the opposite order. It starts with Be'echad L'chaydesh Hashemi, the first day of the second month. It begins with the more individual time, the date, the day, and then it goes to the general time, which is it was the second year. So how come the Torah is rever- speaking differently in time than it is speaking in place? Good question. So the Arachayim answers an answer in which he says it's not inconsistent. Because really... We, we have to look at the space, the place where the Torah tells us where it happened differently. We have to realize that since the Torah says it happened in the Ol Moed, the Ol Moed is a far more general space than Midbar Sinai. Now, the way we look at it with our physical eyes, Midbar Sinai is a general place. Why? That's a vast Midbar. I don't know how many miles there is in the Sinai Desert. Ol Moed was a particular place in Midbar Sinai, a place that was whatever, 100 cubits by, I don't know exactly, remember the size exactly of the entire Olamoid. That's the way we look at it. This is a small area within a greater area called Midbar Sinai. Not so, the Arachayim says. Arachayim says, no, Olamoid is a far vaster place. Why? Because he says wherever God is, all of space is nullified to the place where God is. As the Pasuk says, Hine makayim iti, space is canceled, space is with me. That means all of space is canceled to God. So if God is somewhere, then that space where God is includes all of space. It's like we would be saying, you know, planet Earth, and then we would say the Sinai Desert. Because the Ol Moe, the tent of meeting where God is, contains all of space. Everything is nullified to that space. That's, for example, he says, you see, that when, when there was a time when, when God told Moshe Rabbeinu to gather all the Jewish people, Moshe and I... By Moshe Rabbeinu, it says it by Vayakel, I think. But it also says it by Yeshua Benun, I'm sure, in the beginning of Yeshua. It says that they were told to call all the Jewish people. And everybody was gathered. And where were they gathered? Between the two poles of the earth. People were coming. And they said, come closer, come closer. So how close? Closer, closer. And everybody started walking in between the two poles of the earth. Before you know it, there were three million people standing between the two poles of the Olamon. Between the two poles of the earth. In that little two feet, little area, two amis, everybody stood why? Because even though it looks small, it contains everything. So therefore, Ol Moed is really the larger space. Midbar Sinai is the detail. So therefore, it's consistent with space. Because by space, it's also the same thing. We begin with the, we're beginning with the detail, with this, the second. In other words, what he basically does is, is that he makes that there is consistency. 
in time and in space, we're following first from the individual place, and then we're going to the more broader place. First Midbar Sinai, then Oel Moed. Because Oel Moed really contained within it the entire space of all of space. All of the, every, the entire universe is canceled in the space of Oel Moed. Then which particular place in there, it was in the Midbar Sinai. So it's similar to, to, space, to, to time where it, too he begins first with the individual, the date, and then the year. Okay? That's the Arachayim. But today I saw something really, really, really amazing from the Bnei Yisachar. He brings the Arachayim in the Sefer Agra the Igra the Kala and he, just, and he says something really nice that I felt I wanted to share especially because today was Erev Rosh And when I learned it, it was Erev Rosh And he says, you see, fascinating thing. We find that the end of every period of time, every section of time, is a time that we're supposed to do tshuva. At night before we go to sleep, which is the end of the day, even though technically a lot of times we're going to sleep already, it's after dark and it's already the beginning of the next day, but it's still the end of the day and it's still related to the time of the previous day, it's a time for repentance. Which we're supposed to do. Kriyashma Shalamita is a time of tshuva. So you're supposed to do tshuva every night before you go to sleep. Then on Erev Shabbos, it says that it says in many svarim that on Friday, on Erev Shabbos, really not on Friday, because Friday you're busy, but Thursday night, since you're coming to the end of the week, on Erev Shabbos, Thursday night, one should do tshuva, repentance for the week. Even more pronounced, we know, is Erev Rosh Chodesh. The day before Rosh Chodesh is Yom Kippur Katan, in which we do tshuva. In the year, the entire month of El, being the last month of the year, we do tshuva, especially Erev Rosh Hashanah, many people have the minute to fast, it's a time of tshuva because it's the end of a period of time. He says, why is that? He says, a magnificent idea. Every time unfolds to us in sections. Okay, we get these little, it's like God is delivering a file. Okay, and the file belongs to a folder. The folder is, let's say the whole week is the folder. And then you get the file. The file is Sunday. Then you get Monday. Then you get Tuesday. Then you get Wednesday. At the end of the day, what happens to the time? The time doesn't go away. The time, Sunday doesn't disappear. It looks like Sunday is gone. It doesn't disappear. Sunday rises back up into the general folder. First it comes down as a file. Okay, you open up that document. That's Sunday. You're scribbling on Sunday, whatever you're scribbling, whatever you're doing with your life. All thought, speech, and action is you scribbling onto that page whatever you're doing with that time. When Sunday evening comes, Sunday returns back up into the folder. A Monday file comes down. And so it is every day. Now here's a very, very, very fascinating idea, a little scary. He says like this, if you did anything, if part of your painting was beautiful, wonderful. But if some of it was not that nice, and you just got it sticky with peanut butter and who knows what else that you might have put on that, on that file of time, when you might have put some scribbling or some gooey stuff on it. So as long as it's still on the individual paper of Sunday, it's easy to clean it off because it's only hitting Sunday. But if Sunday returned back up into the file, then you're causing a pagam, a blemish, not just in Sunday, but in a much higher energy that includes Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You're connecting it to the entire week that has become blemished, chas v'shalem, because of the blemish that happened in Sunday. That's why it's much easier to fix it when it's still down here, before the time itself ascends to a higher point in time, where it's much more general and, and in a much higher state, where God forbid its wreckage causes a wreckage in a much deeper, higher source. Then, when the week is over, 
then the whole week ascends up higher into the month. See? Month is a higher section of time. So the week ascends. That's why if you didn't catch your tshuva in the end of every night when you went to sleep, you better catch it at the end of the week because you want to get it when it's still closer to you, easier to fix, than when time rises to a more general source of time in a higher place. And God forbid, the, the blemish is in a much, in a source, in a more sourced place, in a higher place. And so it is at the end of the month, you want to do tshuva before the month turns back into the year as it's nichlal in its source. That's why it's so important, Erev Rosh for people to do tshuva. And so it is within the year. And that's why he explains why we speak about, and so what happens, he says, every, every seven years is a jubilee year, and I'm sorry, is a shemitah year, and that's when time rises up into a higher place, and the next shemitah comes down, and it moves higher and higher, and then you have 50-year period. So he says, imagine what it's like at the end of the 7,000 years, 6,000 years that God created in there. That's why we speak about, he says, there's a yoyim adin agadol va'anayra, it says there is a great day of judgment which happens in the end of the seventh day, in the six days. And it says it's mainly for the Gentiles, not for the Jews. And the reason is because we've been cleaning every section of time, every time we dust it off before we send it up. But if you don't do tshuva in all these little sections of periods of time, then everything is rooted and God forbid blemished in that source of sources up there and that kind of a blemish when it reveals itself after 6,000 years, pretty serious. So much better, that's why the Abishter gave us these moments of, of tshuva of time. That's why he says, when the Torah tells us time over here, it says, first, really it should have said first the general and then the specific. But since in time, we encounter time how? First the specific, and then it, we move in, then time joins into a more general point. That's why the Torah says, first in the second month, and then from the second month, we move into Shana Hashenis, into the year, because we encounter the individual day. We interact with the individual time before we interact with the general time. So therefore, we, we, the Torah speaks in that order of time. Just a really great idea. Okay. Now, why does the Torah really tell us over here where this took place, that it was Ba'olam Moed. It wasn't the Oal Moed. I mean, every, all the commandments that happened in the Torah happened in the Oal Moed. From after Har Sinai, everything happened in the Oal Moed. Why does the Torah specifically specify right over here that this commandment of counting the Jewish people had to, was told to Moshe Rabbeinu in the Oal Moed? The other question is on the next Pasuk, when it tells them, when, it tells, when we're told Moshe Rabbeinu to actually count the Jewish people, the term that the Torah uses is the word so'u esroish b'nei kol adas b'nei Yisrael. Simply it means take count of the, of, take a head count of all the Jewish people. But the Torah doesn't say take a head count. The Torah takes, says the word so'u esrosh. So'u esrosh means literally, translated really, lift the heads up of the Jewish people. So what is the meaning of lifting the heads? In what sense is Moshe Rabbeinu lifting the heads of the Jewish people? Now it says, he should lift them to what? To their families. Simply, he should count them to their families. To their father's house. According to the number of names. All males. To their heads. Actually, means a skull. 
So if you really connect the beginning of the Pasuk, what you're really saying is, lift their heads up to their skull. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to lift someone's head up to their skull? Your head and your skull is one thing. What does it mean to lift it to... Okay, obviously, if you're translating it on the very simple level of Torah, yes, it means count them by head count, every single person. But deeper, the Torah has an external interpretation and has a deeper interpretation. Lift their heads up, raise their heads, to their skulls. What does that mean? So Rav Shneer Zalman Aliyadi has a fascinating discourse this week in the parasha. And he also explains how all of this is connected to Shavuos. What does this have to do with the Yom Tev of Shavuos since we read this right before of Shavuos? And briefly, it's really worth learning the discourse. It's the first mimer, it's the first discourse on the Kuti Torah and Pashas Bamidbar. But I'm just going to do a very brief synopsis. And the idea is as follows. Um, there is the head and there is the skull. We all have our head and we have our skull. Our skull is much higher than our head. And, and what we're saying over here in the Pasuk is that the work that needs to be done is that we need to connect our heads to our skull. So what does that mean, our head to our skull? And the idea is based on what we had discussed last week. It is a very, very, very essential part of our Yiddishkeit and of our, of our avoda to love God. Because the love is the juice. The love, Avas Hashem, is the juice of all of our Yiddishkeit. But everything we do ought to be done with an energy of love, with an energy of seeking to attach ourselves to Hashem. But there are two types of love, two types of love. The Zohar says that there is two types of love. There is two types of love, because love is really more of an external manifestation of will. And there's two types of will. Okay, Love is when it translates mamish into the emotion of the heart. Will is the inner engine behind the love. That's why interesting, the word ahava, the word Ahava, which means love, in Hebrew, in Lashon HaKodesh, the root of the word is Ava. Ava means desire. Because the panemius, the neshama of love is Ratzon, is will, is desire. But there's two types of will in a human being. There is one type of will that is created by the mind. And that's what we spoke about last week, in which one uses their intellectual faculties, the powers of their soul, to meditate, to become familiar, to become to know the awesomeness of God, the awesomeness of the Eberster, of God, the creator of the universe. And the more we recognize God's beauty, greatness, majesty, and power, and goodness, the greater we are drawn to connect to Him. Okay, God, first of all, Hashem is a concealed, hidden, abstract entity. And if we don't work to familiarize ourselves, to get to know Him, and we don't do this on a daily activity, and just rely that, you know, I'm a Jew, and I love Hashem, it doesn't work. Then, of course you love Hashem, but it's never going to be in your conscious experience. It's going to remain hidden, 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 buried, buried, deep, deep in your neshama, but it's not going to enter into your sphere of daily choices and daily experience. The mitzvah, Avas Hashem, is the mitzvah of bringing forth a feeling of love in the same way that you love uh, whatever, now Shavuos is coming. In the same way you love cheesecake, you love God. That means you feel a desire, an excitement, you want to get close to Him. You want to have a piece of Him. You want to savor the taste of God's, of, of the beauty, of the deliciousness of the divine, of the pleasure of the divine. But for that, you need to 
get to know Hashem. Now, one asks the question, what do you mean know God? We cannot know Hashem. Hashem is not knowable. As the Zohar says, there is no thought that can grasp Him. So who is the arrogant human being who even has the a tiniest thought in his mind that he can grasp God? And the answer is absolutely true. No thought can grasp Hashem. But we're not talking about Hashem. We're talking about Hashem's, Hashem's um, light and His life force that emanates from Him. Of course, Hashem Himself we can't know, but we can know Him through His actions. We can know Him through His projections. And Hashem wants to be in a relationship with us. And even though Hashem knows that He's infinite and we are finite, therefore, He particularly emanates from Himself energies and life forces and projections and radiance that we could grasp and understand so that we can experience something of Him, understand Him, and, and thereby build a relationship and connect to Him. This is what we mentioned last week, what it says in the, in the Zohar, based on a pasuk in Eshes Chayel, where it says, Noida basha'arim bala, which simply means her husband is very known, he's known, everybody's a popular man, everybody knows her husband, he's known in the streets, Noida basha'arim, by the gates, but the deeper meaning is, her husband is referring to God, Hashem, who is the husband of every neshama, Noida, Hashem makes himself known, basha'arim, through the gates, Baila, her husband. So the Zohar says, L'chol chad v'chad l'fum delay. God shines into everybody's neshama and according to what you estimate, which means according to your capacity of soul, according to your capacity of mind, according to your capacity of exploring, investigating, researching, and looking to try to connect to Hashem. How do you do that? You learn and you study about about the Abishter's greatness in the creation of the world, you think, that the, you think about the idea that the worlds didn't exist a long, long time ago. They have no existence on their own. They were all created, yesh me'ayin, something from absolute nothing. That means there's zero, zero, zero. That God doesn't take any material that exists already to create the world. He creates it all from absolute nothing. By by, chat, by emanating an energy, a power, by willing and speaking the world into existence, that's how the world comes into existence. And one starts meditating how beautiful and magnificent that energy is, that it created such an unbelievable world like we have, and everything that's in it, and especially we were given teachings, and we have to really, really pay attention to these teachings, where we are told not only the reality and the godly, um, not only about the life force that's in our world, but we're also, we're also are informed about higher worlds, and high, which are far more magnificent than this creation, than our physical world. And higher and higher, and the more a person learns, the more a person meditates in the more mystical side of existence, you, and you can really know it. You can study it, and you can know it. And the more you learn, the more you become familiar with the godly energy that's creating it, the more excitable it is, the more exciting it is. God is unbelievable. You start realizing, it's, it's, and you get excited, and you want to attach yourself to Him. So it's according to your moichen. And then what happens, and this is called, and now this desire is called ratzon tachton, the lower ratzon, the lower will, because it's created through the mind. And this is an important idea, that when we say, so you're saying, well, I'm not knowing God, I'm knowing my, what I think God is. But that's, and therefore I'm not really knowing him. It's just what I'm making of him. He's the God of my mind. He's not the real God. But the Zohar is saying a very deep secret. 
No, noida. Hashem lowers Himself down to actually encounter your soul through your... When you make an effort to know Him, Hashem appears to you. He doesn't appear with His essence. He appears with His light. He shines down. He will go down measure for measure. If you're seeking to daven and to reach out to meditate on the Abishter's greatness, on Hashem's power, that God is, as the Zohar says, that Hashem fills all worlds, and Hashem encompasses all of creation. You will make an effort to reach and understand. Hashem will appear on the other side of that effort, and He will shine and make Himself known to your neshama. And you're having a real encounter with Hashem through that. That's the idea. However, all of this, and again, it doesn't help just learning. The point over here is that one has to think very deeply and, the, and to the point where it becomes very vivid. Vivid as vivid as, because you can't really love something that remains abstract. You have to think about it, think about it, think about it. And that's the whole idea of Izbaininus, contemplation during davening, until it becomes so real. Until you reach the point what's called Das. Das means it's, you attach yourself to it. Like you're attached, like you're fixing your mind on something and you're so caught up. It's like you see something magnificently beautiful. You're watching an unbelievable sunset. You're going hiking and suddenly the sun is setting and you open up and you see something and you're just transfixed and you're so attached to it. Someone taps you on the shoulder, you don't even feel it. That's how you need to be, how we can become transfixed on God during davening. That's when the excitement will kick in and you're going to have a genuine, true feeling of love, Tasha. Fine. But all of that is called Ratzon Tachton, the lower desire. Why? Because after everything is said and done, it's a, it's a desire and it's a love stemming from a person's intellect, from a person's mind. And where is it directed to? It's directed to God's power within creation. It's not connected to God Almighty Himself. Because you're not knowing the Abishter, you're not knowing Hashem, you're knowing only His emanations to the creation. True, it's a true emanation, as I said before. Hashem is making Himself known to you. It's not your fast, it's not your fantasy. It's really Elokus, but it's, el- in, 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 it's Elokus. It's not God. It's godly, but not God. But then there is another Indian. And that is, there is another type of a love. There's another type of a desire. And that is the desire of the neshama to experience God Himself. And that is the, the Ebishter Himself, Hashem Himself. Hashem's true, true, true existence. And that is not, okay, so that you can't know. As we said earlier, you can't know it with your mind. So what do you mean? How can I connect to that? And the idea is like this. First of all, it does, and we'll see in a moment, because our neshama is a piece of God from above, and our neshama is really taken from the deepest, innermost of Hashem's essence, not from Hashem's emanating light to create the worlds, because the neshama precedes the worlds. It's not part of God's creative power, but it's part of what we say Hashem Himself is. That's where the neshama comes from. But again, that's the neshama in its deepest, deepest, highest state. The question is, is there a way in which we can somehow, somehow experience this love in a consciousness? And the answer is yes, there is a meditation. And when someone meditates on that very idea itself, that God is not meditatable, 
and that Hashem is not conceivable, and Hashem is not apprehendable, and there's no thought that can grasp Him, and that whatever I know both of Hashem's indwelling light, Hashem's imminence in creation, and even when I understand Hashem's transcendence, that Hashem surrounds all of creation, and He's bigger than all of creation, and that He's, even that transcendence is not Hashem Himself, because there's no thought that can know Him either by positively identifying him or by negatively saying what he is not, that too, it's called Yediya Sashlila, saying what God is not, that too is not him. Because we don't come any closer to him by saying what he is not, because we don't, really, we have no, we don't even know what to say he's not. That's how transcendent he is. So when we think about that, think about that, think about that. So what happens at that moment is the Neshama kicks in, and the neshama senses only in a way that the neshama can sense, not intellectually, but just in the neshama sense, the truth of Hashem's real mitzvah of His true existence. But that love, when that love is felt, that love is a powerful, 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 indescribable, infinite love. And over there, the thirst and the yearning of the soul is to extract itself completely from the body and from any form of existence, and to, and to just be subsumed in God's truth. In other words, the first love is a measured love. It's measured in accordance to one's understanding. What I appreciate, what I understand, how much I know, everybody different, every day is different, in accordance. And over there, here's the thing, when you're loving God based on intellect and reason, by meditating on what? How Hashem is the blueness of the sky. How Hashem is the gushing forth, force that's in the ocean. How Hashem is the warmth that I feel, the warm sun rays that warm me, that's Hashem. How Hashem is everything I know and love, every delicious taste, every beautiful song, every pleasure, every delight is God. Then, then what? Then I'm able to peel away the externalities of life and not connect to the silly external superficiality of things, but recognize the divinity, the inner soul of everything. But I'm not seeking to tear myself away from existence and run away from life and from what we call life because what's, what's the pleasure of God? God is the pleasure of life. It's only the wisdom of understanding that what is life, not like a cow looks at it, a cow only sees the outside. I'm a human being. I'm deeper. I'm thinking about a cause. And I'm loving the power that's behind it. But I'm loving the power that's behind it. And I preach. The, the, I like the world. And I like the God creating the world. And I realize that the world is nothing other than an expression of Him. So where am I running to? I'm not running away from the world. I want to be in the world. I'm, through the world I experience God. It's not a... a but this idea of kloisa nefesh, where the soul loves, raptures with love, and it can't, doesn't want to stay in the body, it doesn't want to be here, and it just wants to melt and tear itself away from everything, because the soul appreciates that what? Here's the idea. It appreciates that all the emanations that we spoke about before, that God emanates light that dwells in the world, and Hashem emanates an infinite light that surrounds the world, all of that, all those lights are only for the worlds. Meaning they only have, they only have significance in it, to our world, to our, 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 our finite existence. But to God Himself, here's the idea, here's the very important point. To God Himself, all these emanations are 
absolutely zero, zero, zero. Nothing. To the point that even after he emanates these emanations, nothing changed in him. It's as if it never happened. Mamish, nothing happened. Not even a tiny little feather falling off, falling down, which doesn't even make us, nothing. Because that too is something happening. A little feather fell down. Not even that. Bringing in all the cosmos, spiritual, angels, souls, world, all of that, the entire, it, nothing happened. Because those energies are ayin, the efes, mamish, 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 nothing. Everything is canceled to God himself. So how can I desire these worlds that are a consequence of these energies when the energies producing them are zero? What do I want? I want what's real. I want Abishter. I want God himself. Now here's the thing. If we would not have an ishama, if we don't have a soul, we couldn't possibly even meditate on this because we don't know this at all. You see, this is not a knowledge that you know intellectually. It's an, it's an ishama knowledge. Our soul in heaven experiences this, knows this. Problem is, and this is the problem, that kind of a love is the true love that we want to get to. Because all this other love that we create with them, in our mind and our excitement towards the godly rays compared to that love, it's silly, it's ridiculous. It's, it's so immature. It's, so, it's just that we have no choice. We have to work with what our minds can grasp. But it's not a true, real, Jewish connection that a Yid has with Hashem. It's good for Gentiles. It's good even for angels. But you're an Hashem, you're a soul. A soul is so much deeper and so much higher. So here's the thing. The neshama has this love intrinsically to God because the neshama is a chelak l'kaimimau. The problem is that that part of your neshama, that's a part of God from above, doesn't enter into our consciousness. That part of our soul remains in heaven. This that we say a neshama comes down in the body, it's only a ray of the soul that comes into the body. The neshama, what does it mean a ray of the soul? The powers of the soul come into the body, not the essence of the soul. The emanations of the soul. The, the, the neshama has a power of intellect. That goes into a person's mind. The neshama has a power of emotion that goes into the, into the heart of a person. That's called the nefesh ruach neshama. These are all just lights of the neshama. They're not the soul itself. The neshama itself, with this intrinsic oneness to God, remains in a complete transcendental place. And there is no communication between the two. Between our transcendental soul in its attachment to God's essence, to our soul down here that is only a ray of the neshama, thereby only experiencing Hashem's emanations into the creation. What's now? Let's just first identify these two loves and these two experiences. One of them is called our head. Rosh, what's the head? So if you look in a human being, there's two things. There is a skull. The skull is the container, and inside of it is the brain. The brain is in the inside, and the top of it is the skull. The brain is where you have your brain activity. So as we're going to translate that into the neshama, the powers of intelligence, the active powers of intelligence, which we use to attain the lower love, which we use our mind to explore, to daven, to understand, that's called rosh, that's called head. The love that is from the essence of the neshama to God himself, as we said, it's above us, it's part of us, but it's above us, that's the skull. 
That's the skull. Problem is the two don't communicate. A person can live all their life and never ever, even if they're living a life inspired by intellect and reason, driving them in their, in, their, in, their, in their connection to God, they might never ever experience their truest, deepest connection of Hashem that's potential, that's there for them to explore. They can't, they can't connect to it. That's the whole idea over here when we say, so'u es roish b'nei Yisrael, lift the heads of the Jewish people, legil geloisam, to their skulls. Which means, can we connect a, 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 a communication between the neshama and its transcendental state that knows God itself to shine into a person's intellectual powers, which means into a person's consciousness in their body, and somehow attach the consciousness to the superconscious. Can we, can we connect these two? And that's the idea. So, ooh, if you realize how the Pasuk makes so much sense now. So, ooh, raise their heads up, to their skull. Make a connection, the Abish is saying to Moshe Rabbi. But the truth is, when did the connection really open up for the Jewish people to experience it? That happened by the giving of the Torah. By the giving of the Torah was the first time as the Jewish people truly experienced their transcendental souls. Why? Because until Matan Torah, God Himself was not revealed in the world. What was revealed from Hashem is just Hashem's lights. When Hashem created the world, how did Hashem create the world? By hiding himself. Elohim. Elohim is the name of Tzimtzum. God created the world through filters, 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 hiding his light. Not, and even the little bit of light that comes through is only a little, a little emanation of him, not him. That is until Matan Torah. What happened by Matan Torah? God speaks. And what does the Ebesh just say? I am Hashem Elokecha. Onochi means God bears himself to us. Hashem completely reveals himself in the Aseris Adibras and in the word Anochi. And by Matan Torah, Hashem reparted all the partitions and it wasn't a revelation of, it wasn't a revelation of Hashem's talents, Hashem's powers. It was very intimate, it was very personal. It was a wedding. It was a wedding. It was the intimacy of being, being becoming one totally with Hashem. Hashem's very self revealed himself to every Nishama. When Hashem self-revealed Himself to the neshama, what did it do to the neshama instantly? It connected, as God's essence revealed Himself to us, it connected us also to our essence of our neshama that's part of, is one with, the, with Hashem. Suddenly we communicated with our deepest point, with our Gilgolas, with our, with our skull. And that's why what kind of love did we experience by Matan Torah? The love that I'll call Dibur the Dibur. Every time Hashem spoke, Parcha Nishmasan, the Nishamas left their bodies, the Nishama fled. Which means they experienced what we said earlier, that this higher love causes a person to, 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 to reject every type of vessel, every type of container, every type of defined existence, but to melt, melt into Hashem's very self. Why the Dibor? It was a reaction to the Dibor. It was a reaction to every commandment. Because the commandment wasn't just a commandment, do this or don't do that. The commandment was God exposing Himself completely to the Neshama. Ani Hashem, I am God. Anoichi Hashem. The deeper meaning of Hasidus, that Hasidus explains us on the word, Anoichi Hashem, I am God, Elokecha, 
Elokecha doesn't mean your God. Elohim in Torah always means power. Elohim means, the regular meaning of Elohim means the powerful one, the almighty one. Anochi Hashem Elokecha means I am God, your power. Because your essence of your soul is intrinsically one with God, with God's truest self, not the God of creation, but the God's truest self. And therefore, I am your power, which means you can feel me. I'm feeling, and this is what Hashem was doing. Hashem connected the superconscious soul, the soul in heaven, to the soul down here in the body. Now the two are connected. And as a result of that, I have taken you out, from the land of Egypt, which means much more than just a geographic location, Egypt. And it doesn't even mean only a more spiritual Egypt, which we usually define as forces of darkness, of klipa, of you know, dark things that a person can be stuck in. That too, but it means so much deeper. I took you out of all limited, finite existence, even out of all the worlds of Malachim, Srafim, Vaifanim, worlds of light, because God can't be defined by light or by any definition. We can't even say on Him that He's infinite because infinite is also a definition. Nothing. But I raised you up out of everything. May Eretz Mitzrayim, from the land of Egypt, from the land of limitations. And I connected you to me, myself, and I. And we, and we, and we passed out every time. We, you, passing out was, was too powerful. Passing out meant we became him. Then he returned us back into ourselves. Then we became him again. Then we became ourselves again. We went this, through this ten times. Once this communication was opened by Matan Torah. So why is there a commandment the second year to Moshe Rabbeinu? A year later, Su'u Esroish, lift the heads of the Jewish people, the Gilgalaisim, to their skulls when this communication has already happened. So Rav Shneer Zalman says, but listen very carefully, he says, true by Matan Torah, this communication happened. That the Gilgolas, the super, super rational soul, with its inherent attachment to the Hashem himself, was connected down to our conscious soul of reason and rationale and thinking. But what happens? That's as long as a person doesn't sin. The moment a person does something that is distasteful to God, that it's against God's will, the moment a person allows himself into the klipa world, the God, God cannot dwell where there is evil. A sin is, brings in, creates within the neshama a darkness. And it creates a wall. Or maybe a curtain. And maybe not even a sin. I'm not talk, we're not even talking about an intentional sin. It could be even an unintentional sin. Just not being so careful and allowing a little tiny bit of klipa chas v'shalem to enter. Make matters, and, or not even that. Just a strong attachment, an overindulgence in material pleasures and physical things. With, which, and it's not done with the pure motive of serving God. Just allowing oneself just the pleasures of physicality. And not that too. Kabbalah and Hasidists teach us that too is klippa. It's also shells. They create barriers. They create walls. And hear very closely what it says in a pasuk. I, I don't know the source right now, but there's a pasuk. It says, Avini seichem your sins, mavdilim separate, beinechem between you, lebein elokechem between your God. 
Now it's interesting, the words that it uses is, it says your sins separate, create a barrier between you, lebein elokechem. It doesn't say, beini ubeinechem, between me and you, like it says by Shabbos, beini ubeinechem. It says, bein, beinechem lebein elokechem. What does that mean? Elokechem doesn't mean God. Elokechem means your godly spark that is one with my truth, that knows me, not through intellect, but knows me inherently because I'm, it's part of me. That's that your nitzutz, that nitzutz of the neshama that's one with the nitzutz of boire, like the Arizal we brought it two weeks ago, where boire and nivra converge as one, where you're one with God's true, true being. That's called elokechem, that's your true power. Every time chas v'shalom, you do a person does a sin. We do a sin chas v'shalom. We create a disconnect chem between ourselves. Yes, we can still explore Hashem. We can still meditate. We can still have an entire rich world of spirituality, but we cannot experience the true connection to Hashem's very being. We can remain. We can live in a world of light, in a world of spiritual enjoyment, which is which in the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate scheme of things is real, you say in, you say in Yiddish, Baba Mises. It's really worthless and valueless because it's not, the real, it's not the real substance. It's not the real thing. And chas v'shalem, we become... And the, the mushal that he gives in the Mimer, which is very profound but also frightening, he says, it's like a person, God forbid, having been beheaded. Literally, the head, a person has disconnected from his own head. So what's the Eitzah, he says? If God forbid there is a disconnect, if a person lost their head, in this case, a person lost their skull. So what do you do? So he says, Ilu Yitzuyer, if it would be possible, imagine, Ilu Yitzuyer, if it would be possible, that they should have a medication, which should be able to, or some kind of a medical procedure, that would be able to reattach a person's head to his body after it has been already severed. That would be incredible. That they haven't figured out yet. To reattach a head that has been taken off and put the head back on. But that's what the Abishter is telling Moshe Rabbeinu. Even after Chas V'Shalom, we do things which take us away from Har Sinai. Which ultimately, inevitably, besides two or three tzaddikim, everybody's going to leave Har Sinai. Everybody's going to leave that state of purity and fall into whatever it is that will cause these barriers and separate them from their head. So for that, there is the mitzvah. So, as Rosh B'nai Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu is given, told, you should connect the Jewish people back to their heads. How do you do that? How do we reconnect after we've severed? And the answer to that is Bo'ohel Moed. That's why the Torah has to tell us where it happened. Remember we said, why? That was the question we asked in the beginning. Why does God have to identify to us the place of where this mitzvah was given? Every mitzvah was given in the Ohel Moed. It seems to imply that by this, this mitzvah, in particularly, you need Ohel Moed. What's the idea of Ohel Moed? So here's something very, very fascinating. First I'm going to say it's very very concise. He says, when we learn Torah, we reconnect. We put our heads back on. 
learning Torah in the right manner, with the right desire, with the right kavana, reconnects, even if there are sins, chas v'shalem, it removes these sins and reconnects the skull to the head, or in the example that he gave before, reattaches the head to the body. And that's the meaning of O'el Moed. Why is O'el Moed Torah study? And why does Torah study reconnect the person back to that the, the lower soul, the soul, the ray of the soul in the body to the essence of the soul that is up there in heaven. How does it work? He says, let's take a look at the word moed for a moment. Moed is, this means, why is it called moed? Because it means tent of meeting. Moed is a place of meeting. Meeting of who? Where we meet God. Its original pasuk is, vinayadati shama. Yisrael. I will make myself known. Rashi says it means I will set times of intimacy, times of closeness. Adati. And he says an interesting thing. There is another word similar to adati. It's the same words, just to rearrange the letters. And that is the word vinoidati. Noidati and noadati is the same, same words. It's just one of them is with the dalad before the ayin. And that means vinodati. And the other one is vinodati. What's the difference? Vinodati comes from the word das. I make myself known through your das. That's vinodati. The other one is vinodati. I am intimate with you. I become vinodati. I am, I am meet with you. I just become one with you. And what is that? These are these type, two types of love. You see, the more, the more external, superficial love one that's produced by the mind is also, is also a deep connection, as we spoke earlier. Noida basharim bala. Her husband makes herself known to her. Every neshama gets to experience Hashem if they only want to. You can gaze and peek and connect and attach yourself to Hashem during davening if you meditate on the godless Hashem and Hashem's light and in Hashem's power in creation. How all of creation emanates from Him as we spoke earlier. You come to a yidiya and you can make it so vivid until you feel it. That's vinoidati. I am making myself known. But that's a knowledge, a perception of the soul which as I said earlier, it's not just a vain perception where a person can say, oh, it's my, just my imagination. It's not your imagination. Because Hashem is really, sh- if you open up a window, Hashem shines His light through that window, you can really know Him. But it's not Him, it's only His rays. That's why it's called vinoidati. Vinoidati means I make myself intimate with you. That is the higher type of knowing. The knowing, not the intellectual knowing. The knowing of the essence of the soul where essence knows essence. Not through, through, through uh, in, in intellect. It just knows. That comes where? That is enclosed in the Torah. That's the difference of just getting to know God through using your own mind in meditating, looking, or learning Torah. When you're learning Torah, no matter what, which part of Torah you're learning, mainly it's as he says, it's mainly Torah Shel Balpeh. When you're learning Torah Shel Balpeh, when you're learning Mesechtis Baba Kama, that's dealing with the laws when someone causes damage to someone else, and how the Torah says, in which case you're chayev to pay, in which you're obligated to pay, and when you're exempt to pay. You're learning the laws of marriage in the Torah. You're learning the laws of kosher and non-kosher, kosher food, non-kosher food. 
any part of Shishay Sidra Mishnah, of the six Sidarim of Mishnayas, of Mishnah that there is, which is the, which is the bulk of Torah Shabbat Pan, later, later everything, of course, explains it. So you think you're learning a subject. But really what's hidden in those, in that, in those, in those subjects is God's deepest desire. Hashem expresses His inner, innermost self, His very Ratzon, as it is in the deepest place, His identity, the Abishter's identity that's not connected to creation. We think the Torah is like God's will related to fixing the world. That's not true. The Torah is the innermost. God's revealing His secrets of secrets of His innermost secrets. The deepest secrets of God's soul is in the Torah. Now, the beautiful thing is that Hashem contracted and compressed it in a document that we, that we can absorb, understand in every, in every mind. That's because of His infinite, boundless love for us. The Torah does not change when it descends down here. So all the meditation and prayer can only take you to the light of God, but not to the essence of God. But... When you encounter God when you're learning Torah, since His essential will is enclosed in the Torah, and your neshama is now absorbing that will, the same thing that happened at Har Sinai, but at Har Sinai it happened with flashing sounds and thunder and earth-shattering earthquakes, and the whole world was tumbling and shaking in a very quiet, private way. It happens every time you learn Torah. As the Pasuk says, Achastiv, I take a hold of him, Ashir Ashirim. Veloyar Penu, I will not leave go of him. Acha, until I will bring him El Beis Imi to my mother's house, Velcheder Arasi, and to the chamber of where I was born. Where I, so he explains that the Pasik is referring to Beis Imi, that's Torah Shabbiksav, that's the Chumash. God is contained in there. Achastiv, I hold on to Hashem, I'll base Imi, my mother's house. My mother's house is the Torah Shabbat that's the written law. We're all the Torah, but in that state, the Torah is still in a very, very, I don't know what Hashem's will is. In Torah, we, you know, even though God's will is embedded in the Chumash, but it's still in a very, 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 uh, unex- it's not yet expressed, it's not yet Outspoken, it's still in a in a very concentrated state, and we can't connect to it. We don't know what Hashem's will is. You don't know how to keep Shabbos from learning Chumash. You don't know how to put on tefillin from learning Chumash. You don't know. But then Cheder Arasi is the is the chamber where I'm born. That's where the Torah begins to be more revealed as the will of God emanates in the Shisha Sidra Mishnah in Torah Shabbat, Torah Shabbat Peh. And when you do that, that's your reconnection. Because even if there's been a disconnect, the attachment now comes back again. And it reconnects that which has been the severance. Every time you learn Torah, you can reactivate that, 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 that connection. However, you have to want it. The sages say, If someone says, I only have Torah. Sadly, it's a real, 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 real problem. Amongst... Jewish people that even spend their lives learning Torah and devoted to Torah. And everything is Torah, Torah, Torah. So much energy, so much. But 
You don't sense and you don't feel that it's about not the Torah, it's about the Noisina Torah, the one that's in the Torah. See, that sense you get when you learn Hasidus, because Hasidus keeps on reminding you it's not the Torah. Torah is only a garment. Oita oir kasalma. Hashem dresses himself in light, like a person putting on a garment. But if, you, all you, if all you're thinking about is the garment and not the one that's inside the garment, you're not seeking him. So the sages say, <laughs> Spirituality is Hasidic stuff. This spirituality, this is not for me. This is, I have Torah. I, I, I have Torah. And, and Torah is the biggest thing. They don't even have Torah either. You have nothing. You have information. Nice. And good information. You have a good, as far like this, as far like that. You can go, might as well learn mathematics. What's in it? What's there? Is there something coming into your neshama? Is there a connection or not a connection? How can the connection happen if you don't even, you don't even have, you don't even think about it? It's not interesting. It's not, it's not, it's not in your mind at all. That's the meaning of a person has to learn Torah Lishma, which means Torah Lishma means you want the Dvekus that you're going to have with the Ebishter. And Tani says that you're supposed to think about it. You, know, you can't think about it while you're learning, because when you're learning Baba Kama, you're learning a deep sugya, you have to think about the, you have to make sense of the Gemara. But he says at the beginning of the learning, you have to think about it. And if you're learning for three hours, every hour he says you should stop for a moment. Yeah, I don't think it's Bittal Torah. You stop for a moment and reconnect your thoughts that I'm not just learning this because of the intellectual stimulation that it's given me. I'm learning this because I know that through this I'm bonding with God. And I'm reconnecting myself to the deepest, dimen- the deepest essence of my soul. And me and Hashem are becoming one. That's oil moyed. That's where it takes place. What's with the barriers that we spoke about before? What happens with the barriers? We said before, Avanosechem, the sins, Mavdilem, they separate. They separate. What happens if there is a if there is a blockage, if your service got disconnected, if ATT disconnected your service, they put a block. Then what are you going to do? So, uh, you, uh, so how does it work? How do you reconnect? So Torah reconnects, but what's with the blockage? And the answer is, that's why when this whole parsha is told to us, Reish B'nai Yisrael, in the Oel Moed. So by the way, just let me go back a second. Moed means the intimacy of the connection. Oel is the tent. That's the Torah. The Torah is the tent. It's the garment. And inside that Oel is that moed, that inner connection. Not das, das is the one that comes through your own intellect. This is noyadati, not noidati. That happens to the neshama subconsciously, and then, we, and then it could affect us consciously as well. Connecting the rats and tachten to the rats and elyon, the lower desire to the higher desire. But how does it happen? That you need, you need... Now what's the whole parsha Bamidbar about later in the parsha? It talks about the Levium. The Levium are the one who erect the Mishkan. Shevet Levi. And really it was accomplished through the Kohanim and the Levium. And the Pasik says an interesting thing. It says, Uberedas, I think Ubachanoisa Mishkan. Or when the Mishkan comes down, when it rests. Yakimu I don't have the right, I think I'm not quoting the right Pasuk, but the Pasuk is something to the effect that when the Mishkan goes down, what happens? The, the Levium will put it back up. So what does that mean? 
Mishkan is every single neshama. Every single Jew is a Mishkan because we are all a dwelling to God. When the neshama goes into a low, when the neshama descends, when we fall down from our level where we stood by Har Sinai, we were in a state of cleaving to God. And when we descend, chas v'shalom, and when the mishkan goes down, yakimu oisei halavim, the levim put it back up. What are the levim? So here very closely, I'm going to do this very quickly. There's two parts to it. There's the work of the kohanim and the work of the levim. The levites, the levim, are three families. The, Levi, the, the, Levi, the levim families are Gershon, Kahas, and Merari, which the Torah talks about this week in the parsha, speaks all about them, they, and they're the ones who carry the Mishkan and put it back up. Generally, the avoda of the Levim is associated with Gevura. Gevura is because Kohanim are called Kohanim Isha Chesed, Tomecha Vurecha the Ish Chasidecha. Kohanim are the ones that are full of kindness. That's why they bless the Jewish people, and the and the and the energy of kindness is a flow from above. When you're kind, the one who has is giving to the one who doesn't have. Kindness is like water that flows. Kavur is the opposite. Kavur is like fire. Fire rises. So here's the idea. In order to reconnect the Mishkan that has fallen back up, primarily you need the Levim. What do the Levim do? They, with their Kavur, with their fire, Cause the Levium to re- cause the Mishkan, the Neshama that is disconnected, to reconnect to its source. But you need Dafke the Levium, which are Gevura. Why? Because, first of all, the v- Gevura is like fire that goes up. But you also have to get rid of those blockages. So you have three families of Levium that help unclog or unblock. The first one is Gershain. Gershain, what's Gershain? comes from the word Garesh. What did Sarah say to? To, to, uh, to Avram. See, Avram is chesed. Avram is love. He loves everybody. Sarah is more on the side of gevura. Chlal women are more gevuradig. Sarah is malchus. Malchus is built on gevura. Sarah says to Avram Avinu, Goresh as ben hazois. Get rid of him. We need to activate within ourselves a certain intolerance. And that is, when a person sees himself, chas v'shalom, becoming stuck with klipa things, Something within our neshama needs to be activated that says, get out of here. And a person has to shout and yell. And when he feels something, a taiva, a lust, a, a, a temptation, some kind of something that's causing a seduction, something that's pulling him into a klipa diya thing, you have to evoke and you have it in you. We all have it within ourselves. The gershon inside of us that a person shoves the Yetzirah away. You push it away. That's called iskafia. Iskafia means it's not that we're tzaddikim. We do feel earthy, physical urges and desires. But when you think that you want to be a mishkan for Hashem, you activate. And we have the gershon inside of us. That's the levi. And the levi says, you, and you push it. We reject it. We reject it. It might happen a thousand times a day, but you keep on rejecting it. Each time you push it away, you're doing, you're activating your levi, and that's, you're activating your gershon that pushes away the bad, this creating, removing these barriers. Next comes Merari. What's Merari? That's easy for everyone to figure out. Merari comes from the word bitterness. Maror, bitter. There comes the deep bitterness when a person recognizes how much disconnect I have in my life. 
Here I think maybe I'm a tzaddik. When I really start researching and looking, doing an accounting, the Zohar talks about mara dechushbena, people masters of accounting, who make an accounting of every thought, speech, and action during the day, looking at what are those things that might be so subtle, but they create barriers. They create barriers. And you feel bitter. The bitterness burns. It's like an acid. It burns through those, those, those barriers. So Gershon is dealing with a temptation that's coming now. I need to push it away. Merari is dealing with things that I've done already that I need to burn. The feeling of frustration and bitterness that you have within yourself, not sadness, not depression, but bitterness about it, that too cleans. That's all part of the Levium. Because the Levium comes from Gevura. Gevura is the source both of the power to reject something, to push it out, and the power to be bitter about it. Finally, we come to the next family of the Levium, and that's Kahas. Kahas comes from the word Veloi Yikas Amim. It says to Mashiach, nations will gather. So we're talking about gathering. Because what happens is, once you reject the klipa and you're bitter about its negativity, what happens with that part of you that is attached to these things? What happens? You just silence it? You just, you just, you just numb it? You just suppress it? No, Yiddishkeit doesn't believe in suppressing. I mean, in the beginning, yeah, you need to suppress. But when you don't give it a negative outlet, and, you, and, and the cleansing that comes from the bitterness, eventually, as we spoke last week, you can communicate even to the animal soul, even to the Sahara, and turn around that and bring that too to yearn for God. That's the meaning of kahas. Kahas means gathering. All the fragmented desires that you have in your life, all those desires that are unholy desires, whether it is desires in eating, whether it's desires related to relationships and that intimacy of a person's life, whether it's desires for honor and for money and for this and for other delights and nice things and... All those desires, when you, when you use first your Gershon and your Kahas, I'm sorry, your Merari, eventually you're able to take those things and turn them that they yearn for a connection with God. Because you cut off all other outlets, then it comes back to its truest desire, to connection. So Kahas is much higher. Kahas is also Gevura, because they're yearning, they're like fire. They're going up to seek the connection. Then come the Kohanim. And the Kohanim are the ones who, see the Levim, create the desire that you want to be connected to your higher desire. The Kohanim actually cause the download. They give you the access code and make the download that God should invest himself in the Torah. That's why, what is the job that it's such a see this very quickly. In the end of the parasha, what do the Kohanim do? The Levim have the jobs to carry the Mishkan. Right in the end of the parasha, you'll see an amazing thing. The Kohanim take all the Kalim of the Mishkan, including the Aron, it says in the Torah, the Levim are not allowed to come to this work. The Levim have to stay out. Only Aharon and his sons go inside and they cover the Aron with, with different covers. Each, each Kaili, when they traveled, had a particular, um, a particular cover, a particular sock, like what do you call it? A, not a sack, a particular bag, like a leather bag or different types of, which were used as covering to the, to the things. And if you take a look, there are six materials that are used. There's uh, purple and blue wool and linen. There are six. What you're really, what the Kohanim are really doing is they're enclosing the Kliya Mishkan, which means the divine light, 
and they're enclosing it in the six books of Mishnah. They're the ones who are drawing it down. Aaron and his children, they're the ones who are drawing this abstract godliness into these six colors, which are the six Siddharim of Mishnahis. So that now when you learn Torah, after you've had your levi eradicate, after you've got the Ra outside of you, now come the Kohanim Kaya and Isha Chesed and make the connection that you have an erected Oel Mohen. And now, so as Reish B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish heads are going to be reconnected, Legilgaloisam to their skulls. And we can maintain what we got by Har Sinai. The truth is, on Shavuos every year, this reenactment happens in its very powerful way on Shavuos. But all year long, it is our Avoida to keep this connection, keep the Oel Moed going. We need the, the, the work, the unified work of both the Kohanim and the Levim to be active together to make this happen. May we merit that we shouldn't just talk about these things as inspirational ideas, but they should all become reality. And I, I'm very much aware, uh, but I don't have to be aware from outside, I'd be aware from myself, that I'm, we're all, I mean, I can talk about myself, very, very far from what it says in the Mimer. Halavai, we should meditate and have the lower love, let alone talking about this incredible Mekloisa Nefesh love. We learn about them because it helps us understand what a Jew ought to be and where we're not. And hopefully very soon with the sound of the shofar, we're all going to experience these things in our daily lives. May we merit to see that now. Good job to everyone.